0: Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you, so let's get to it. All right, so we're continuing our series in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is given the burden to go back and rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. I'm dropping my water already. That's not a good sign. Uh, honestly, I'd expect to go through Nehemiah much faster. Uh, what we're doing in this series is not really looking at Nehemiah for his leadership principles, although you could do that. We're not looking at Nehemiah as kind of a picture for our purpose. You could do that. But what we're doing is we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, and we're looking at what it shows us about who God is, because I think that's primarily who this book is about. It's not about Nehemiah. It's not about Ezra or Zerubbabel, any of the leaders. It's about how God works through all of his people to accomplish what he wants to accomplish and in week one we saw that God cares for his people last week we saw that God intercedes on behalf of his people and this week is one of the most powerful truths that there is and that is that God works. On behalf of his people. Now, I promise I'll speed up through Nehemiah, but I couldn't get past these two verses without stopping and talking about that, especially on a day like this, where I'm celebrating all that God has done in and through us. And you cannot look at a sin and not go, wow, God must have been doing something there, because otherwise it would have never worked out. And the truth is, in our Christian life, when we do anything good, the truth is, it had nothing to do with us and everything to do with God. And so I'm going to try to get all the way through verses 10 and 11. I got a pretty long introduction as I set this up. Uh, And then I want to look at how we can trust in God, because it's not laziness. When I say God works for us and we don't work, I'm not saying we're lazy, but I am saying that we rest in God. So we'll look at how that actually plays out at the end. But first, as I always do, I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer. Father... I need you to work through me today as I preach this text. Uh, Lord, before we go out and we celebrate all that you've done and enjoy company with one another and enjoy good cake and all of the the great blessings that you've given us, we get to celebrate those after this service. But first, God, we want to worship you through your word. We want to see what your word says about you so that we might worship you for who you are. And God, the truth we're looking at is that you work for us. And that's never more true for me than when I'm in this pulpit. God, I need you to work through me. I have nothing to say to these people unless you say something to them through me. So God, I pray everything that I say that is true would be highlighted in their minds and everything that I say that is untrue would be blown away like the chaff in the wind. God, it is in your great name that I pray. Amen. Now we come to the end of chapter 1, Nehemiah is, if you remember, interceding on their behalf for the throne room of God. So he's asking God to help the Israelites. He's saying, God, we need you to pour out your power. And that's what he's saying at the end of this text. He's saying, God, these are your people. They're your servants. Please be attentive to my prayer because you're the only hope that I have as the leader of these people. And you're the only hope we as a people have at all. And that is the truth of the Christian life, both Old and New Testament. It is God who is working and willing things in and through us. Now, there is this saying that a lot of people say is from the Bible. In fact, you might even think it's a proverb somewhere because I've heard it so often. And it's actually the opposite of what the Bible says. Now, uh, be honest. How many of you have heard this statement? God helps those who help themselves. Have you ever heard that? God helps those who help themselves. Some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand. I know this is a trick question. Uh But that is actually complete rubbish. It is not in the Bible. You cannot read Proverbs and find it. You can't read any of the book and find it. In fact, if you look throughout all of the Old and the New Testament, you'll come up with the exact opposite message. You find all these people in the Bible who we call heroes of the faith, and they're all knuckleheads. They all do everything they can to mess up God's plan. And we see God being faithful in spite of it. We see God working on behalf of his people to get the things accomplished that need to be accomplished. In fact, it's the complete opposite of the gospel that I preach to you every week. The good news I preach to you is that you were helpless and Jesus came to help you. It's not you did a little bit for your salvation, but Jesus did you know what, what you needed to make up the rest. No, Jesus came and he did everything on your behalf. Uh, I think this plays out uh, as an error in Christians' mind most frequently when I ask a question uh, about Judgment Day. Uh, I don't usually ask it this way because I think it's kind of confusing. Uh, but if I were to ask you the question, who's in heaven and who is in hell... I would imagine that a lot of people would say, well, those in hell are those who are bad. And those who are in heaven are those who lived a pretty much good life. Or you might say, they lived as good as they could. You know, they did 20% of the good. And and Jesus comes and he says, okay, I'll make up the difference. I'll give you the 80% of the rest. But that's not the gospel at all. I need you to understand something. If heaven was based on our goodness, if being with God for all of eternity was based on our goodness, all of us would be damned to hell for all eternity. There's not a single one of us, the Bible says, who has done good. Isaiah 64 says, My best acts, my righteous acts, are like polluted garments before the God of this universe. The gospel is no, God came in flesh. The second member of the Trinity stepped out of heaven and did everything for you. He lived the life you could not live, and He paid the penalty you were supposed to pay so that you could share in the blessings that were only rightfully His. This is the gospel. And you say, "Okay, Blake, but in our Christian life, then that is where I must put forth all of my effort to make it work. You know, yeah, he saves me for all eternity, but then I've got to work to make this thing work out. You know, I've got to do all the right things. And I would say there again, it is actually God working in and through you. You need God's help to do anything that is good and godly in this world. Now, you might say, "Okay, pastor, you know, you need to prove your work to me. I don't think you went to seminary. In fact, I know you didn't. So how do I know that what you're saying is right? Because as I read Nehemiah chapter one, verse 10 and 11, it says the word servant several times. It says I am God's servant. And you know what servants do, Pastor Blake? They work. They work. And I would say you got me a little bit. But in fact, when the Bible calls us servants of God, it's actually not like being the servant of anything else in this world. Because when we serve God, he is actually serving us in it. I got three points to refute you if that's what you're thinking. And I hope it is what you're thinking because I kind of based my sermon on it. So if not, just don't listen for the next 30 minutes. Uh, Number one, when we serve God, it is like a boomerang of blessings. In other words, when I do what God has called me to do, when I sacrifice for God and I serve God, it's like I throw a boomerang trying to bless God and God sends it right back tenfold. Uh, There's a beautiful picture of this in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10. I don't have time to get into the whole context of it. But uh, Peter, verse 28, says this. It says, Peter began to tell him, him being Jesus, look, we have left everything and followed you. Look, Jesus, we gave up everything to follow you. Aren't we such good servants of you? And Jesus' response is like, Peter, you don't get it. Verse 29, it says, truly, I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. He says, Peter, you don't get it. Everything you've given up for me, I give back to you a hundred times. You cannot outbless God. Uh, This is what makes God unique from any other thing that we might try to serve in this life, whether it be a political leader or an ideology or an idol that we find comfort in. No, because all of those things need stuff from us. Only King Jesus is the king who has everything. And because he has everything, we can't give him anything. And because we can't give him anything, he gives us everything. Uh, It's kind of like this, irregardless of your politics, uh, because really that's not the point of what I'm saying. There's a lot of talk about the student loan repayment, which my wife's in college. uh, So it's like, you know, cool. You know, they're repaying the loans. But what I hear people saying uh, is, you know, look, the government is paying off our student loans up to $10,000. And what I want to stop people and say is actually the government has nothing to give you. The government by itself is just the government. You know where the government gets their money from taking Everything that is given, and that's not just the government. That's me too. If I give something to you, it's because I took it from somebody else. I had to earn it. I had to get it somehow so that I could give it to you. So whenever somebody is giving something to you in this world, it's because they've taken it from somebody else. There's no free lunch to speak of. But with Jesus, there is nothing that he needs. So he can give to me, and he can give to you, and he can give to the whole world, and he can do it without having to take from anything because he is all that he needs. All of it is already King Jesus's. So when he gives to us, it is out of his overflow of blessing, meaning we cannot give him something that will not come back to us. That is good news. That is vastly different from serving anything else in this world. Number two, serving Jesus is different because he serves through us. We can't do anything separated from him. John chapter 15, Jesus talks about how the Christian life works. He said, you must abide in me to bear fruit. So for for you to bear fruit... You must abide in Jesus. In other words, you have to stay connected to Jesus. If you cut a branch off of a tree, guess what happens to that branch? It dies. Any good thing that a sent church does, any good sermon that I preach, will come out of the overflow of abiding in King Jesus. Anything that is lasting in this world comes from King Jesus working in and through me. Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about this. He says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. You say, ha, got you, Pastor Blake. It says for me to work. And then the very next verse, you know what Paul says? He says, for it is God who is willing and working in you. God is the one who is working. Even when we serve him, we're serving him based upon God serving us. And finally, number three is he serves through us because he loves us. See, God does not need Nehemiah to do what he's about to do. Nehemiah is about to go before the king and intercede on behalf of God's people and try to change the king's mind so that they can rebuild the wall. Does God need Nehemiah to do that? No. You know how I know? Because earlier in the story, in Ezra chapter 1, it starts with the king's spirit being changed. King Cyrus's spirit was roused to help the Israelites. And there is no human intercession involved. It was just God doing it. And now in Nehemiah, we have God using Nehemiah. Why would God use Nehemiah? Was it because Nehemiah was so great and God needed him? No, it was because God loved Nehemiah. He wants to work in and through his people. In fact, we see this all the way at the beginning of the Bible before sin messed everything up. Adam and Eve were in the garden and we tend to think work is a part of the curse, but it's not. They were working before the curse entered the world. Why? Because God has always wanted to work in and through His children. He desires to work with us. You know, does God need a sent church in Northwest Oklahoma to do all that He wants to do? No. If we cease to exist tomorrow, guess what? God's will will still be done. But praise God that he wants to work through us. You can kind of think of it this way. It's like uh, if if you've ever, and I'm sure you have, you've invited a kid to help you with something. If you're a father or a mother, you know, you're changing a tire uh, and you invite your four-year-old son to help you change the tire. True or false, inviting the four-year-old does not speed up changing the tire. (laughs) Slows everything down. Uh, Or or maybe, maybe in the kitchen, you know, you invite a kid to help you cook a meal. True or false, the meal's going to take longer to cook and it's going to be a bigger mess, right? So why would we invite the child to do it? Because of love. It's not about efficiency. If we were only worried about efficiency, we would change every tire by ourselves and bake every cake by ourselves. But we don't. You know why? Because we love the child. We invite them to help because we want relationship with them. This is our heavenly father. Blake Farley is not up here preaching because I am so great. And God's like, oh, I hope Blake helps me. No, you know me for five minutes, you know that's not true. You didn't have to laugh so hard, Tim. It is God who wants to work through me because he loves me, because he's my heavenly father, and the same is true for you. So why do we keep working as a sent church in Northwest Oklahoma? It's not because God needs us. In fact, we probably slow God down. If God wanted to, to radically change Northwest Oklahoma, make it look like heaven tomorrow, he could. But he doesn't. You know why? Because he wants to work in and through us. See, so when it calls us servants in the Bible, it is vastly different from serving something else. Now, I want to move into the text because I think it gives us uh, what this looks like in practice. Because what I want to be very careful of is is I'm not saying that this means that we as Christians are lazy. You cannot read the Bible and get that picture either. We're not lazy. There is effort on our behalf. behalf. But it's just not working on our own self-sufficiency to get things accomplished. Our work and this sounds like a contradiction but our work as Christians is to work to stay weak. We have to stay weak and reliant on God. But there's a problem. The more God helps us, the more we can be tempted to grow arrogant and trust in ourselves. One of the scariest uh, stories in the Bible for me comes from Second Chronicles chapter 26. Second Chronicles chapter 26. And uh, I first heard this story when we were beginning to plant Ascent Church at a, a church planning conference. And this just shook me to my core as they talked about Uzziah. King Uzziah started out his ministry very good uh, as the leader of the Israelites. He was king. And uh, he trusted in the Lord. And the Lord did great and powerful things through him. But then at the end of King Uzziah's story, there is something that is incredibly scary. Something that we should all take note of. 2 Chronicles 26 verse 15. He, being Uzziah, made skillfully designed devices in Jerusalem to shoot arrows and catapult large stones for use on the towers and on the corners. In other words, he invented weapons. And this is at the end. You can read it yourself. A long list of accomplishments that Uzziah had. It says, so his fame spread even to distant places, for he was wondrously helped. That's what I want, don't you? I want a sin to be wondrously helped. And that's what Uzziah was. He was wondrously helped until he became strong. But when he became strong, he grew arrogant, and it led to his own destruction. He acted faithfully, unfaithfully against the Lord his God by going into the Lord's sanctuary to burn incense on the altar. And the pastor who was preaching this message to this group of church planners, he said, I want you to fill your name in that. Blake was marvelously helped until he became strong, and he grew arrogant, and he acted unfaithfully to the Lord. You can fill in your own name. We can fill in the name of Ascent. Ascent was marvelously helped. And we've done so many great things for the community. I'm so proud to be a part of this church family. And I'm so excited about the future. But we have to be careful, friends. Because if we grow strong in ourselves, we will grow arrogant. And God will remove His power from us. We act unfaithfully towards the Lord. This should humble all of us. We have to work to stay weak. So how do we stay weak before the Lord? Well, I'm glad you asked. I love when you guys keep asking questions that are next in my notes. Because we go back to Nehemiah chapter 1 and we see how Nehemiah stays weak before the Lord. Seeking the Lord's help. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 10 and 11. It says, these are your people. These are your servants. You redeem them by your great power and strong hand. The first thing is we remember what God has already done for us through the gospel of Jesus. See, whenever the Old Testament wants to talk back about God's amazing power for the people, they always go back to the Exodus, which was when God redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt. And they had all this miraculous stuff happen. Namely, the Red Sea was split for them. So Nehemiah is saying, God, do you remember what you did for us? Do you remember when we were weak? We were slaves. And you helped us escape Egypt, but then Pharaoh changed his mind and he chased us down. He had mighty men and armies, and we thought we were going to be destroyed. And we came right up to the Red Sea, and we were trapped. There was a body of water, and there was an army much bigger than us coming. And then you, God, split the sea so we could walk through it. God, we need that same power right now to do what we are called to do. As Christians, though, we do not look back to the Exodus. We can, and that's great. We ought to. Same Yahweh that did that does things for us. But what we look back to is the new Exodus. Jesus Christ led us out of captivity of our slavery. He did it in an equally miraculous way. In fact, more miraculous. That the God of this universe stepped out of heaven, took on flesh, and walked amongst us. Miracle! That alone should blow our minds. I'm afraid we hear it so often in church that it doesn't blow our minds just quite enough. But God Himself took on flesh and walked amongst us and died the death we deserve to die. And then the miraculous of of miracles is that He rose from the dead. You cannot find Jesus' body because He is not there. And then He ascended to the right hand of the Father on the throne. And as a Christian, when I am trying to remember how great God is and how much I need Him, if I look back on that Gospel message, it is impossible for me not to be humbled. You know, it, it'd be, it's as ridiculous as somebody getting on an airplane. And then when the plane lands, and you know how sometimes it's kind of a scary flight to get turbulence if you've ever flown? Sometimes they clap for the pilot when the, when the plane touches down. It's like, oh, yay, we're still alive. Uh, imagine if I was sitting next to you on the plane. And all I was doing was eating my peanuts, taking up way too much space, putting my chair back, annoying everybody around me. And when they begin to clap for the pilot at the end, I stand up and I say, you all are welcome. You guys would say, you did nothing. You just sat there. The pilot is the one who gets the glory, not you. Well, in the same way, when we look at the gospel message of Jesus, we cannot stand up and say, look how great Blake Farley is. No, we got to say, I didn't do anything. I was just along for the ride. It was Jesus who did everything on my behalf. Number two, uh, we have to remember to pray. We have to remember to seek God's counsel, which is exactly what Nehemiah does. Verse 11. He says, please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants, to the prayer of your servants. Prayer is one of the the easiest ways that we can remind ourselves of our weakness before God. And it's one of the ways we can begin to see ourselves growing arrogant. What are the things you don't even pray about anymore because you think you can handle them yourself? Uh, Nehemiah actually gives us a great example of this in the next chapter because he's before the king. And he's about the king says, what is your request? And it's Nehemiah's big moment to talk to the king. But Nehemiah says very quickly, prays a short little prayer before he talks to the king. He talks to the king of the universe. He remembers who's really in charge. And I wonder how often you do that. How many days go by where you don't ask the counsel of the Lord for anything? You don't ask God what he thinks about what you are doing. I had a mentor really humble me at one point. Uh, it was at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. We're trying to figure everything out. And I came to my mentor and I said, I have this great idea. What do you think about this idea of what we're doing? And he says, Blake, that sounds like a good idea. But does God like that idea? I thought, what do you mean? He said, "Well, have you prayed about it? Have you sought the Lord's counsel? And I realized I hadn't. What was I doing? I was using my intellect, my mind to figure out my own problems. And I hadn't even thought to seek the counsel of the God of this universe. See, so we need to be people of prayer, and that doesn't mean praying for hours at a time. It means praying throughout our life. Uh, th- just this last week, I went to have a lunch or a breakfast kind of with Donna Dreyer, and uh, she gave me some stuff for my ancestry. She's been using Ancestry.com to see uh, where I got messed up, somewhere in the family tree. <laughs> And uh, so she had a whole bunch of papers for me, and I went. She also gave me grape jelly, which was phenomenal. has nothing to do with the sermon, but that lady can make grape jelly. Okay, I thought it was sand plum jelly this whole week. I don't like sand plum jelly, and I thought, this is so good. And she said, it's grape jelly, Blake. So that is why it was so good. Uh, I don't really remember where I'm going with this. I do remember. Praying before the Lord. So, before I went and met with Donna, I knew it wasn't going to be a, a, a big meeting. I wouldn't worry about Donna saying, Blake, you're a dumb pastor and we hate what you're doing. I wouldn't worry about it at all. But still, before I went in, I stopped in my car a moment and I said, God, would you give me wisdom as I meet with Donna? Would you help me know what to say? And I think that's what God wants us to do. And I, that's an example of me doing good. I don't do this as good as I should. In that moment, I did, but I normally don't. Even in the small things, God, I want to seek you. You know why? I'm weak. I don't know how to talk to Donna if you don't help me. I don't know how to lead this church if you don't help me. I can't preach this sermon if you don't help me preach this sermon. I've got to stay weak, friends. And I do that through remembering the gospel and praying. Number three is we ought to always look for reasons to delight in God. Always look for reasons to delight in God. Look at what it says, verse 11. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere or respect your name. This is so powerful. How often do you delight in God's name? Because the more you delight in God, the less time you'll have to delight in yourself. You know, you can't be sitting in the mirror saying, look how awesome I am. If the whole time you're saying, look how awesome God is. And that is how we ought to be. Uh, John Piper has this illustration that I heard a long time ago. And it's it's just really always stuck with me. Uh, He talks about orange juice and worshiping God as we drink orange juice. And it's a really practical way of bringing delighting in God throughout your entire life. He says, as you drink orange juice, don't just drink the orange juice and think, wow, that tastes good. But as you drink it, think of the God who gave you those taste buds and turn it into a moment of worship. God, you are so good that you would make a fruit that tastes like this. You are so good that I have taste buds and I can taste this. So I was worshiping God this week as I ate Donna's grape jelly. Last night, a few of us were out at the lake, and uh, Rick was, was cooking steaks. He cooked steaks on the fire. I felt like we were cowboys on the old plains, you know, out there with his leather gloves cooking a steak on the fire. It was so cool. And uh, that steak was awesome. Man, I didn't have the proper utensils, so I picked it up like a man, and I ate the steak like, like it was ribs. I thought, God, how cool is it that you would make a cow the most delicious thing on earth? I mean, come on. you don't believe there's a God look at a cow and eat a steak and tell me there's not a God who looks at a cow and thinks that would taste good. But that's how good our God is. I can worship God in the small moments. And the more time I spend delighting in who he is and what he's done in all things, the bigger God gets and the smaller I get. And I see how strong he is. I was talking to Rick's son, Brayden, this week. He's going to be a chiropractor. And uh, by the end of this semester, he's supposed to know every part of the human body. Like He he can point at it and tell you what it is. And uh, he was telling me how complex one of the, the back straps on our shoulder is. He said there's 17 different functions, 17 different systems, all working together to make these things work out. And we both sat there and we said, wow, how awesome is God? Isn't it wild that there are systems inside your body right now that you will never know anything about and they function without your thought and without you doing anything. And if they stop functioning, you would die. But you trust that they work. And you know why? Because God has wonderfully made you. How good is this God, friends? How often do you spend delighting in God? The more you delight in God, the easier it will be to see your own weakness. So number four, the last one, is we have to deny ourselves of the idols that we find comfort in. We have to deny ourselves of the idols we find comfort in. The the intake is delighting in God. The self-denial part is, what are those places I find comfort that take the place of God? These places where I find strength, and I need to do whatever I can to deny myself of them. But this is what we see at the end here. It says, Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. This is kind of a beautiful piece of writing, because as the reader, we're saying, Who's this man? Who is, who is he asking compassion for? And then it says this, At the time, I was the king's cupbearer. So the man he's talking about is the king, the most powerful man in the world at the time. Nehemiah is saying, I need help from you, God, before this king. Now, to us, that might not mean much, but to Nehemiah and to the Israelites reading this, this was really powerful. Because in Isaiah 31, we find out one of the reasons why they ended up in exile at all. Isaiah thirty-one-one says that the people kept running to the kings of Egypt for help. And God said, the kings can't help you. I am the king of the universe. The king's heart is like water in my hand. Job says that, king, that God raises up nations. He enlarges them and he destroys them for his purpose. You know, you think America is great because Americans are great? America's great because God enlarged it for his purposes. And one day, America will no longer be great. It will crumble. And guess what? The kingdom of God will still be standing because it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God. That's right. And so God got frustrated with His people. He's saying, why do you keep running to these kings for help? You think that's where your strength is found. It is not. Remember, it was me who split the Red Sea for you. You need to come to me. And what is Nehemiah doing? He's saying, God, I'm coming to you. I'm not going to the king primarily to ask for help. I'm going to you because the king is in your hands. You are the one who really has power. And I wonder where are those things in your life that you run to for sufficiency? Because I've got them in my life. You know, money for me. And you can tell where you put your sufficiency because when you start to lose it, you'll begin to grow fearful. Because that thing you find strength in is now gone. So maybe for you, like me, sometimes it's money. You know, you got good money. You feel pretty good. But you lose your job and your bank account begins to dwindle and you begin to say, oh, Lord, God, money, please help me. And what you've got to do, friends, if if, whatever it is, if it's money for you, you've got to fight that before you get to that moment. You have to constantly be saying, nope, I'm not serving you, idol money. You are a tool and I'm just going to use you as a tool. I do not worship you. I do not trust in you. I trust in the God of this universe. It's one of the reasons why I love the discipline of tithing. I don't believe that you have to tithe or God won't bless your money, but I believe you ought to tithe because what it does every single month is it says, God, you are my God money. You are not my God. And tithing is very important for Taylor and I. It always has been because... All of that makes sense to me. For for instance, tithe means the first 10%. So the first, meaning before I pay any bills or do anything else, I'm gonna give this money to God. And it's 10%. And you say, 10% seems like a lot. And it's like, that's the whole point. It's supposed to push you a little bit so that you say, you know what? Oh, this hurts. I don't know if it's gonna work out. But guess what? I don't trust money to take care of me. I trust God to take care of me. I trust God to make sure these things work out. And so each and every month, I am telling myself, money, you've got no hold on me. And if you struggle with greed, if you struggle with money being your idol, you need to write a big check today. It doesn't have to be to a sin because you might think, well, this is self-serving. But you ought to write a big check to say, money, you have no power on me. Or another place that I find sufficiency that maybe you do as well is, is work. I, I love to work. I love my job. And what's kind of crazy about my job is I can almost make it religious. You know, like I'm, well, I'm working on my sermon and, and that's God's work. And I can use that as an excuse to work seven days a week, 10 hours a day. And really, I'm not trusting in God. What am I doing? I'm trusting in my own strength. So one of the habits that I did really well at for a while, but this week, Pastor Blake was convicted uh, that I haven't done well, is is the habit of taking a Sabbath, which is taking a whole day and saying, I'm not going to work. I'm going to trust God can do more with six days than I can do with seven days. But you see, what begins to happen is I begin to compromise. You know, here's one thing I need to do. Here's another thing I need to do. And before you know it, my uh, Saturday that was supposed to be for God and Taylor has now become me working again. And I say, I'll just do it this Saturday. And before you know it, I'm doing it all the time. And my sufficiency is not in God working for us, but in me working for myself. I need that day to remember that. I had a friend tell me a story about a time where he decided to do a discipline of Sabbath. And by the way, if you try to tithe or you try a discipline of Sabbath, what will inevitably happen is something will go wrong in your money or your time at work. And you will be faced with a decision whether you trust God or you compromise. And uh, that's exactly what happened to my friend. He uh, was working for a big firm and they had a big client coming in uh, that wanted to meet with him. And this was like two weeks after he decided, I'm going to give Saturday to my family and Sunday to God. And this client said, I got to meet with you. It's an emergency. Uh, I'm flying in. I've already booked my flight. I'll be there on Saturday to meet with you for lunch. And my friend's like, oh, man. He said, I am so sorry that you already booked your flight. Um, but I have said that Saturdays are for my family, so I can't meet with you. How about Monday? Well, the guy throws a big fit. He hangs up. And my friend is worried because this was a huge client that it might cost him his job that he wasn't going to meet with him. And uh, so the guy calls him back a few hours later. And he says, it wasn't easy, but I made calls to the other people at the meeting. And they all agreed that we can do it on Sunday. So for your sake, we'll do it Sunday at noon. And my friend's like, Oh, man he said, I had to say to him, I had to decide in that moment, am I going to compromise or am I going to stand true and say, I trust in God and not my job and not in this client? And so he did. He said, I trust God. And he said this. He said, I have given, I'm so sorry you did all that, but I have given Sunday to God. Well, you know, at that point, the guy threw a fit, hung up and my friend was really worried he lost his job, but he didn't. In fact, it worked out. They had the meeting on Monday and everybody was fine, but it doesn't always work out that way. He very easily could have lost that thing he was trusting in. And that is the point. You have to be willing to lose those idols because you do not trust in those things. You trust in God, and God alone. It's one of the reasons why I, uh, in the summer, give up five weeks of the pulpit because I love preaching. And if I'm not careful, I begin to think that my preaching is what grows a scent. I begin to think that it's, it's Pastor Blake and what he is doing. And so five weeks every summer, I say, "Ah, I'm going to let somebody else have the pulpit because I don't want the church built on me. I want the church built upon the power of God. And this summer we had great preachers preach and uh, I came back in the pulpit. and It was very humbling because our attendance in the summer, it was like going consistent. The other guys started preaching. It went up a little bit and it kind of flattened out. And then I came back to the pulpit. Pastor Blake's back. It's about to explode again. And the attendance week over week dropped. <laughs> it was like God reminding me, Blake, this isn't about you. And that's a good thing. Because if it was about you, the only person there would be your grandmother, Wendy. <laughs> she, she would support me no matter what. But other than that, it is my power working in and through you and in and through this church. Amen. So, Zach, if you guys want to go ahead and, and come back up as we're ready to sing. Uh, I want to end with uh, 2 Chronicles 16, chapter 9, because I think it is so encouraging for all of us. Uh, Jesus' message is encouraging because you don't have to have it all figured out. Tim Keller says the, the difference between... Uh, the religions of this world and Jesus is the religions of this world say you must do. And Jesus says it's already done. Jesus came to help you. It's why when Jesus was uh, with the sinners and the Pharisees came to him and they said, why are you meeting with these people? Jesus says, I have come not for those who are well, but for those who are sick. That should be really good news. I mean, if you have life all figured out and you're self-sufficient, you don't need to come back to a Because this is a place for those of us who do not have it all figured out. Who try to trust God, but sometimes doubt. Who try to follow Him, but sometimes fall. Who try to seek after Him, but sometimes we don't even feel like seeking after Him. And we we cry out, God, help me believe. Help me follow you because I cannot do it on my own. We're not here because we are people who can help ourselves. We are people who are helpless. And we say, if it's not for King Jesus, we have no hope. And that's good news for me because I don't have to have it all figured out. And God is willing and wanting and waiting to pour out this help for us. 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 16, verse 9. I got so excited that I forgot flip, to flip my Bible there. I was supposed to flip there while I was saying all that, but I, I just get so pumped up about this. You guys were like, man, there's only two verses. This isn't going to be a very long sermon. Uh, but I get paid by the minute, not by the verse. So, <laughs> not really. <laughs> Chapter 16, verse nine, it says for the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to it. God is up in heaven looking around the whole earth saying, I got all of this power. Who can I pour it out on? I'm just looking for somebody who says, God, we'll take the help. God, we want to trust in you. Friends, I pray that ascent is always that place. We would always be the people saying, God, we got both hands up. We're a bunch of knuckleheads. We want your help. And guess what, friends? God will be faithful to give us that help. Let me pray. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you have done. makes me want to weep when I think about the blessings you have given us over the past three years. When I started Ascent with a group of people... I think we all had different ideas of what ascent would look like. And and I had different ideas of how we would get there than what we are and how we've gotten where we are. But God, it is so much better than anything I could have planned. And that's because this is your church, not my church. It's your plans that will be done, not my plans. And God, I pray that we continue to seek after you, seek after what you have for ascent, not what I have or not what any of us as individuals have, but we would seek what you want for us and that we would be marvelously helped Because we work hard to remain weak. And friends, if you would, with your eyes closed, head bowed, take about 20 seconds and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me and my family through this message? Father, I pray that you'd give us the courage to obey what you've called us to do. And Lord, as we know you will, we pray that you would work and will it out in our lives. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks.